Amen. Hey, once again, we are in our study, Voodoo, Vampires, and the Rise of Demon Worship. Why? Because it's part of the 9,328 years journey we've been taking on world religions, cults, and the cults. How many, you guys, you know how many years it's been? I don't even know. It's been that day. I think my kids were still in diapers at that point. I don't know. It's been, it's been quite a while. But hey, we are in that section, Voodoo, Vampires, and the Rise of Demon Worship. Why? Because it is very relevant for today. We've already dealt with the existence of demons, the character of demons, the tactics, and then we dealt with the history of demons. How do we get in the shape where people, not just in the world, that's unfortunate enough, but even in the church, even in the church, they're following demonic practices and things instead of the Bible. It's crazy. So we dealt with the history of that for seven weeks in a row. Then we took a look at the branches. It's branched off, okay? If they can't get you with spiritualism, Satan doesn't stop. He's what? He's going to and fro the earth, seeking whom he may devour, the Bible says. And if he can't get you with uh, spiritualism, he'll get you with voodoo. If he can't get you with voodoo, he's going to get you with shamanism. And then the last three times we saw what? Well, if he can't get you with those, he's going to get you with druidism. And boy, is that applicable for today or what? If you guys have been with us in those studies, and uh, because it has everything to do with what's going on in our world in a different way. So we began to take a look at that, and we first started with the history of Druidism. The barbar barbaric people, the Celts, the largest group in Europe, is where they came from. Then we took a look at their spiritual beliefs. Okay, They uh, had their own pagan religion uh, that was ran by the Druids, Druidism called today. And basically, they were not illiterate. They were illiterate. They chose not to write down their spiritual beliefs, but pass them on generation to generation because they felt it was too holy, too special uh, to write them down. And that was up to the bards and the druids and the poets. They would put it to music and lyrics, just like today, to get people uh, in the next generation to believe what they want them to believe, including about spiritual things. They were into human sacrifice. Uh, they also uh, were into burning people alive. The Wicker Man, which is still being practiced, today. It's just, it's going on right now, isn't it? The, the Burning Man, yeah. or they just finished up uh, here in Nevada. It's crazy. Then we took a look at the practitioners. Again, the Druids. Who were these Druids? Well, there was Druids, males, and Druidesses, uh, females. And we saw basically in a nutshell, a lot of Catholicism, as we broke it down, I'm not going to go through every single one of them again. It's warmed over Druidism. Same thing. The dress, the style, the action, the behavior, all that stuff. A lot of the beliefs, things of that nature, the spiritual practices. It's just uh, Catholicism has repackaged Druidism. And then last time we took a look at the practices and we saw, again, they recount their occult beliefs with the bards, the music, right? And it's still being done today, not just in the music industry for horrible spiritual reasons, but even today uh, over there in Ireland and Scotland, they still have bardic schools and bardic songs and things of that nature. And people listen to these songs, oh, it sounds so relaxing, this Irish music. No, you better pay attention because oftentimes it's retelling their occult beliefs is what you're getting into your ears. Uh, so you need to take care of that. We also saw that the Druids, again, were into basically medicinal herbs, basically their form of shamanism and things of that nature. We also saw they practiced something called infant baptism. Does that sound like anybody else? That's yeah. uh, just the same thing that the Catholics do. We also saw that the Druids, you had to go up certain levels. They had schools for many years. And then if you went to this school and you made it past there, then you got a different color of a robe. And then if you made it through that one and through all these years of training, then you got this other robe and you, might, you got a staff. And what, what was all that? That's the same thing, folks, we see in Catholicism. The same whole level, colleges, schooling, different robes. Everything has a symbolic meaning. That's straight out of Druidism again. And then we saw, of course, the calendar. The calendar of Druidism. They got eight festival forcing. It's the exact same thing as witchcraft. Why? Because they're coming from the same root. And a lot of modern witchcraft, Wicca, European witchcraft, is basically influenced by Druidism. Which, again, shockers, we saw, uh, has many of these pagan holidays, Druids, witchcraft holidays, have been Catholicized 
uh, even still to this day. And of course, Ostara is where we get Ostara, Easter, Easter, Easter has been Catholicized. We're now with the, the, the fertility rabbit, right? Back then, it has nothing to do with the resurrection of Christ for most of the world, but that's where this has come from. It's been Catholicized. Also, you have Samhain, Sahuain, Hallows Eve, All Hallows Eve, All Saints Eve has been Catholicized. That's Halloween. And Yule is Christ Mass. Uh, but basically, they're following, basically, again, Catholicism is not only taking over, warmed over Druidism, repackaging it, getting involved in that, but even their calendar, uh, they're involved in that as well. Then we saw also they were into divination. <clears throat> All the occults involved in divination to try to foretell things, read omens and things. They do that in a couple of different ways. One of them was with the runes you could see there. Uh, but another one we saw horribly was still going on today, unfortunately, human sacrifice. And they would be able to supposedly predict the future and things based on how a person squirmed as they stabbed them in the chest and on the direction and the pattern in which the blood f flowed out of them. Uh, it's sick, but that's the occult, folks. Neo-Druidism, we finished up, and it's now, again, just like witchcraft, old-fashioned witchcraft, you can't say, hey, I'm going to be a witch. Most people freak out. Uh, so what they do is they, they relabeled it. Now, oh, it's not witchcraft, it's Wicca. And as we saw before in our... 20-week study on witchcraft, who's counting? I am. 20 week, uh, the word Wicca itself is the old-fashioned word for witch. So the, it means witch. But they say, oh, no, I'm not a, a witch. I'm a Wiccan. Well, it's the same thing, right? And so that's what the enemy does. He takes old-fashioned pagan practices. He slaps a new label on it, and a whole new generation falls for it. Same thing with Neo-Druidism, also known as Druidry. Okay, ooh, you're not a Druid, but you're practicing Druidry. It's the same thing, right, is all they're doing. And basically what they focus on, this is how they pitch themselves. This is how they package themselves. They don't say, hey, hey, join us in burning people alive in the Wicker Man. Hey, join us for uh, foretelling the future by stabbing people in the chest and watching how the blood goes. Uh, no. Don't you want to help save the planet? You know, climate change and Mother Earth and... We're just, and that's what they do. They're a nature, and we saw that's what they do. They do their things, their rituals out in nature. And what is that? That's the whole environmental movement, folks. Most people don't realize there's a spiritual backbone to this, and it's called Druidry and witchcraft, by the way. Okay, 89% of Druids practice what? Quote, restoring native ecosystems, creating wildlife habitats, growing organic food crops, composting, installing solar wind power systems, changing personal consumption habits to protect the environment from danger. What's that? That's our whole world. It's just repackaged Druidism. That's all it is, folks. And then, including this attitude, you hear from people who are supposed to be Christians. Oh, I don't need to go to church services. I worship God in nature. Right? That's Druidism. Right? That is not biblical, that mindset. We need to come together as Christians as you are here tonight. And then we saw they're blending them together finally uh, into one because Druidism practices, quote, tolerance. No one system of thought is truer than the other. And the path that you choose is the one you make. You decide whatever. And people are getting sucked into that, including in the church. And they don't follow the Bible. They say, no, 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 God told me. See, this is, this is what he told me. This is what I believe. This, that's Druidism. That's Druidism, which also, do what you want, make it up as you go, is at the heart of every really occult practice. As we saw with witchcraft does the same thing. Satanism is the number one law. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. It's the same thing. The same. That's how people get sucked into it, right? Because I don't know what you tell me what to do. It's that rebellious attitude, right? And then you get to make it up as you go, right? So that's at the heart of that as well. So just like witchcraft, just like Satanism, just like spiritualism, just like voodoo, just like shamanism, so it is with Druidism, Okay, all over the planet, being repackaged, a whole new generation is falling for it. Another tactic of the evil one to get people off the one and only path, Jesus Christ. Okay, but unfortunately, that's not done. we got one more to go, so guess what? There's got to be more, Bob. 
Try not to be so excited tonight. Yes, there's got to be more, according to Bob. That's right. Thank you, Bob. Even though I did said that for you. But anyway, that's right. The fourth one is what? Vampirism. you got to be kidding me. That's never going to happen. That's just make-believe stuff. Oh, boy, you're going to get a little teaser tonight if we make it that far before something else happens. Okay, man, this is so prevalent today, and most people have no clue. And they don't even have a clue where it comes from. Okay, believe it or not, just like witchcraft, just like occult activity and all that stuff, man, this thing, believe it or not, it's not a recent occurrence. Most people think it is. It's not. It goes way back to the Tower of Babel. We're going to take that journey tonight. But before we do that, let's see what God has to say about those who would have the audacity to think that somehow drinking blood is going to be good for them, including for spiritual well-being. Hmm. I wonder if God allows that. I don't think so is my thing, but uh, let's take his word, not mine. Leviticus 17 is our encounter. We also deal with this, Lord willing, for still alive and still here. We're going to see this in the New Testament. It's repeated both Testaments, a serious issue. People drinking blood for spiritual reasons. Okay, Leviticus 17 is our opening text. And if you find Leviticus, what do you do? You go to 17, right? All right. I'm trying to wake Bob up again. Bob, how are you doing? You don't want to say nothing, do you? That's right. Okay, I wouldn't either. Sorry. Leviticus 17, verses 10 through 14. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word and his holy commands. What does he say? All right, Leviticus 17, 10 through 14 says this. Now, any Israelite or any alien. Now, now what, what do you think that means? Kind of everybody? Yeah. How many guys are uh, an Israelite? Okay, then turn to somebody and say the good news. You're an alien. Right, so anyway, <laughs> right. Any Israelite or any alien living among them who, what, who eats any blood, God speaking, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from his people. Why? For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves okay, on the altar. Okay? It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may an alien living among you eat blood. Any Israelite or any alien living among you who hunts an animal or a bird that may be eaten must what? drain out the blood and cover it with the earth. Why? Because he says it again. The life of every creature is its blood. This is why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is in the blood. Anyone who eats it must be what? Cut off. You maybe see it if you can there. Okay. Well, again, God doesn't mince words and praise God he doesn't. You know, say, oh, I wonder what he meant in that passage. I wonder what you It's pretty blunt because he wants us to know. Right? It's common sense, right? How many guys would say that uh, God takes us serious about these people who would, on purpose, drink blood? Okay? And, and the context here is just drinking the blood of animals. But could you imagine how he must feel about people drinking human blood? Which we'll get into in a second. Okay? But how many guys would say it, was, it wouldn't go well with them? Those people who do this. Right? And again, what is this? This is the whole vampire premise. Okay, now the words there cut off, okay, uh, as you saw there, mentioned more than once for the sake of emphasis, cut off, okay, it's the Hebrew word karath, and it means this. Listen, here's what God will do. He will not just to be cut off, it's to be cut down, to be eliminated, to be honed down and destroyed. Oh, not to mention the phrase there, what's he say? I will set my face against. Now, do a study on that one. We don't have time to get that. But anytime God says, I'm going to set my face against, no, you don't ever want that to happen to you. If God says to you, I'm going to set my face against you, you're doomed, you're in trouble. 
What you want to do is to be able to approach his face or to be looking upon his face or his face to look upon you. You do not want him to set his face against you, cut you off, eliminate. I'm going to hone you down. You're going to be destroyed. I'm going to set my face against you. These people are in trouble. Why? Because drinking blood is an abomination to God. And this is the whole background premise of vampires and vampirism, which you're going to see just a little teaser tonight. It is in high gear today. No joke. No joke. Quote, today we know for a fact that blood is the life. No other ingredient or man-made material can replace blood as the meaning of sustaining life. Humans or animals. To the ancient Israelites, blood was the emblem of life, equivalent of life itself. The fluid of life, the blood of animals belonged to God. He was why? The giver of life. Blood was never to be consumed as common food. When a sacrifice was offered, the blood was to be drained and offered back to God on the altar. Not for you to consume it and certainly not for spiritual reasons. But here's the problem. Quote, among ancient pagan cultic rituals was the practice of drinking blood, listen, not just of animals, but the blood of human sacrifices. Now, we saw that with the uh, Druids. They believed that eating the flesh and the drinking the blood was going to give them favor with the gods. We see that being repeated today, repackaged Catholicism, with their version of communion called the Eucharist, where they believe it's the literal body and the literal blood of Jesus consuming every single time. That's blasphemy. But that's what this is. You're drinking the blood? What are you talking about? Some pagan tribes consumed their victims' blood because they believed it possessed their enemies' might and power. Again, this is still being repeated and repackaged today, this mindset. So the Lord's command to not eat meat with blood in it would have been uh, to set what? God's people wholly apart from these godless, idolatrous, and atrocious systems. But come on. People today, are not really drinking blood, are they? Oh, yeah. Let me give you just one quick shot across the bow, and then we're going to take a lesson in history. Let's take a look. I was like, whatever you say, Daddy. Whatever Daddy says. Megan Fox is not shy about her passion for fiancé Machine Gun Kelly, which the pair apparently express with blood-drinking ceremonies. Yeah, like vampires. I think it's wonderful. The 35-year-old actress makes the confession in Glamour UK's new digital issue. She says she and MGK have different approaches to the ritual. Quote, when I do it, it's a passage or it is used for a reason. It is controlled where it's like, let's shed a few drops of blood and each drink it. As for the rocker, Megan says he is, quote, much more haphazard and hectic and chaotic, where he's willing to just cut his chest open with broken glass and be like, take my soul. I haven't done anything like that. This isn't the first time the couple's been open about using blood to celebrate their love. When the two got engaged earlier this year, Megan shared on Instagram that the proposal ended only after we drank each other's blood. That is the tip of the iceberg, folks. But it's crazy. This, I, I don't know, I'm just, I'm sure that Hollywood, the media, didn't have an influence on any of this stuff. What did the, the Druids do? They put down their belief systems to music, the poems, lyrics, media. And it got people indoctrinated into their spiritual beliefs. It uh, has everything to do with that, but we're going to see that. But here's the problem, again, with all this and what we just saw. Thinking that you're going to get some call, somehow spiritual benefit or spiritual life out of drinking blood, which God said is where the life resides, is in essence saying, I don't need you, God. 
I don't need you for eternal life. I don't need you for spiritual sustenance. And I don't need the blood of Jesus Christ to save me, to help me. That's an abomination to God. It's a direct violation of his command. By my own sacrifice of drinking the life in the blood of an animal or a person is what I'm going to turn to. That's the whole premise of this movement called vampirism. And it's being glamorized today, and people are still doing it today. And again, you're going to see just how deep it goes. So we're going to break it down, because again, I want to dispel the myth. Like, well, it started, you know, that uh, Bram Stoker guy and that book you wrote on, on Dracula. No, it goes way further back than that. Okay, we're going to take a look at the history of vampirism. Okay, and there's a reason why God dealt with forbidding drinking of blood in the scripture because unfortunately people have been doing it for a long time. Just like witchcraft, just like shamanism, just like voodoo, just like basically any cult you can think of. It's been around for a long time, believe it or not, including vampirism. Believe it or not, listen, even only 200 years after the flood. You would have thought that, because I did the chronology math here, you would have thought that a, I don't know, worldwide flood destroying everything except for eight people and animals on the ark would kind of get your attention that uh, probably shouldn't do evil again. Right. Yeah. Only 200 years after the flood, the Babylonian Empire, and we know this from the records that we find from the Babylonian, they were steeped in the occult. And believe it or not, including vampirism. But let's take a look at that Tower of Babel incident real quick. After the flood, Noah and his family gave thanks and offered sacrifices to God for preserving them. God told Noah to go and multiply and fill the earth. Noah's family flourished and multiplied, but they did not spread all over the earth. Instead, they moved down from the mountains of Ararat and settled in the plain of Shinar and dreamed of building a great city. Come, let us build a city and a tower to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, looked down upon them and saw the city and the tower they were building. They are united and speak the same language. Now nothing they imagine to do will be impossible for them. God went out and confused their language so they could not understand each other. And God scattered them over the face of the earth, and they stopped building the city. They left Babel by foot, by cart, and by boat. Because of the language barriers, each family group became isolated and developed distinct physical traits and cultures. And what they took with them, even though they had different languages, each one of those different language groups that began to finally spread out and do what God said to do in the first place after the flood, go multiply and fill the earth, they took with them their occult practices, including vampirism. Okay, And again, the way that we know that is through archaeological records. Babylon, again, the first civilization after the flood, was steeped in the occult. Okay, Not only witchcraft, we dealt with this in our witchcraft study, but vampirism. Okay, it all started in Babylon. And I quote, uh, there have been those who believe that vampirism 
uh, is confined to the Slavonic race alone and that the peoples of Russia and Bohemia, Transylvania, the Balkan Peninsula are the sole possessors of the vampire less legend. Recent research has exposed that fallacy, the fallacy of this theory. In other words, it's not true. It's not a recent thing. We're going to trace the trail tonight. I'm going to show you that, again, this was yet another occult activity that goes as far back, about 2200 B.C., okay, uh, with the Babylonian uh, Empire, vampirism, okay? They had several different versions of vamp uh, vampires. And, again, we know this from the tablets. The, they wrote what was called the cuneiform writing, where they take uh, clay tablets and take little widgets and do whatever. There's, there's probably tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousand, hundred of the records. So we know this without a shadow of a doubt. The pottery, the things, the spells, the scrolls, all that stuff. They were steeped in only 200 years after the flood into major occult, including vampires. Now, so let's break that down. They weren't just involved again, just in general occult, but vampires. The first one from Babylon was this thing. They called them the Ikimu, and that word means to be snatched away. Uh, this was the first. They had several categories of vampires in Babylon as far back as then. They believed that these creatures would come into people's homes and, quote, snatch them up. Hence, Akimu, uh, the snatch away. The Babylonians prayed that they would not be turned into one of these things, the Ikimu. They believed that they were demon phantom-like creatures who would search for victims to feed their misery. Uh, they were different from what we think is blood-sucking vampires because the Ikimu didn't drink blood. Instead, they fed off the life force of plants and animals and elements and tapping into the life force and <laughs> suck them dry. Which, shocker, wonder where they got that idea from, is the Dementors in the Harry Potter series. Remember that? I didn't watch it. I hope you didn't either. Serious! you hate it when that happens? You know what I'm saying? You're having a great day, and next thing you know, someone's trying to suck your face off. Okay, no. But basically, this is nothing new under the sun. They, oh, man, those guys are creative in Harry Potter. And it, no, this is the Ikimu believe 200 years after the flood. The Babylonians, they, they would suck the life force, uh, these demonic things. Uh, the Babylonians also believe that they themselves could be turned into one of these, the Ikimu, uh, under these conditions. If they died young or from a violent murder or from a battle or a war, before finding love, or having an improper burial, or no burial at all. You could also become an Ikimu, they believe, by dying during pregnancy, from drowning, or starvation, from an, uh, giving an improper offering to the gods, or if they ate a piece of chicken. No, no. <laughs> now, of course, I threw that in there. 
But we're talking about evil beliefs, right? So I felt it fit. But speaking of crazy, maybe it's just me, but come on, folks. Have you ever noticed how they take that crazy colonel chicken guy, his head, and they always put him on top of these really tiny legs and short arms? Have you noticed that? Look at that. Look how tiny he is. What is, it? is that? What is that? No. You see, once you see it, you can't unsee it. But I'm here for you. You will never see that as a tie again. Those are tiny legs, little baby arms. Deal with it, people. But I digress. Let's get back to the Ikamu. <laughs> if the Ikamu, they said, and this is the Babylonian writings, if the Ikamu were to show up uh, on your doorstep, it would not be a good sign. That's the Babylonian understatement of the year. 200 years at the flood. But they also believed that a run-in with one of these creatures would cause a person's death within a few short days or that an ikamu could inflict disease on their victims and cause them to behave criminally. And ikamu supposedly lived in sewers, tunnels, abandoned buildings, and the behind back store storage of KFC. But anyway, I, you know I was going to say that. Wait, another Babylon, but that was one. They had several Babylon. And this again, 200 years at the flood. This whole vampire premise, sucking blood, all the evil, every little aspect of what we think vampire started Right after the flood. It's sick. It's, it's an old occult behavior. But the next one was these things called Uruku or Atuka. Okay. And those names translate as, quote, vampire that attacks man. Okay. Now, with these creatures, the other ones sucked your face off, their life force, whatever. Right. These guys, this is the traditional, they drink your uh, blood. Okay. By, uh, but they said, by simply looking into the eyes. Listen, this is Babylonian writings. By simply looking into the eyes of an Uruku or Tuku, a human could be injured. They hunt deserted places such as graveyards, mountains, and seas. Does that sound familiar? You know how they pitch the, in the, the movies in the book? Don't look at the vampire's eyes. Those guys are so creative in Hollywood when they come up with these ideas. No, this is old occult stuff. 200 years after flood, but it goes something like this. I hope you will find this comfortable. Thanks. It looks very inviting. Ouch. It's nothing serious, just a small cut from that paper clip. It's just a scratch. Don't look at his eyes! Don't do it! I'll get you! 200 years after the flood, Babylonian text, don't look into the eyes of the Uruku, their version of a vampire. Nothing new under the sun, man. Nothing new under the sun. Now, uh, again, another version that they had, uh, specifically, again, with the drinking of blood, these version vampires, they, they called them basically the seven demons. Okay, and I quote, the seven demons are mentioned in various Mesopotamian Babylonian religious texts and incantations, and they shared characteristics with what we think of today as a vampire. They avoided the temples of the gods, and they, quote, fed on human blood. Okay, so again, nothing new in the sun, the whole premise now, they also had female vampires in Babylon 200 years after the flood, unfortunately. Uh, the female one, the first one was Lamashtu, uh, and the Babylonians would carry uh, a figurine of this female vampire around because they believed it was like an amulet and that this amulet 
would protect them from the vampire. Why? Because Lamashtu, this female vampire, was said to have killed children and drank the blood and ate the flesh of men. So, hmm, wait a second. So, uh, this idea that somehow you need an amulet to ward off the vampire, that's nothing new. This is way back, man. Nothing new. And of course, guess who's Catholicized it? The Catholic Church with the cross. And holy water, which we saw was a Druid practice. It's just water, but that's the premise. And that premise is still being promoted today. That, you know, if you got a vampire or a demon, all you got to do is hold up a cross and that vampire, or, you know, and the holy water, and, oh, like this movie premise. <laughs> You see, if you want to get rid of vampires and demons, I mean, get them all in one swath. They do what they did. They put it in the fire sprinkling system. This holy water works every single time. Yeah, it's just water. But anyway, but again, even this idea that you can use an amulet to protect you, something that you need outwardly to protect you against it that's now been Catholicized, shocker, because they're involved in all this stuff. Nothing new under the sun. It goes way back 200 years after the flood of Babylonian Empire. Now, they had another female uh, vampire, a Babylonian vampire. It was called Lilith. Okay, Lilith, as you can notice, who, what, what's on either side of her? Owls. Remember we just finished up with the owls, right, with Druidism? Long, and so this is 200 years after the flood. Or, so how long have owls been associated with the occult? Long time, folks. Not just recent times, okay? But this is about roughly 2200 BC. Uh, Lilith was extremely popular in Babylon culture, and the, quote, myth about her continues today. And believe it or not, you will have people in the occult that say, aha, there's a secret conspiracy going on. They're holding the truth back on us because Lilith was actually a great, wonderful uh, person, uh, a great spirit that we should listen to because she really was, believe it or not, the first wife of Adam. Have you guys heard that? A lot of the occult, if you're familiar with that, they say, see, there was some secret. We were not being told the truth. It wasn't Eve. Lilith was the first one. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Uh, no, there is no conspiracy. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. But since that is floating out there, let me deal with it real quick and we'll move on. Uh, but she was never Adam's wife. Adam had one wife. It was only Eve. Quote, according to the legends, key word there, Lilith was an evil, wicked woman who committed adultery with Satan and produced a race of evil creatures. None of it's true. It's all make-believe. It is not supported one iota from the scripture. There's no biblical basis whatsoever. Uh, the belief that uh, Lilith was Adam's wife, they say, well, yeah, well, we got it in the Bible. Really? Let's see where that's at. So there's two major things they try to bring up, completely out of context, both of them, shocker. The first one is Isaiah 34. Now, one translation does say this in Isaiah 34, 14. 
There too Lilith shall repose. And you're going like, oh, well, there it is, Lilith. And it proves that it's got to be Adam's first wife. <laughs> no. The word there, Lilith, in the Hebrew is Lilith. And it refers to a female night demon who haunts desolate places. That's why better translations, most translations, almost all translations translate that word, Lilith, as night creature, screech owl, or night monster. That's it. Oh, and by the way, in that context, what does it talk about creation, the creation account, Adam, Eve, any of that stuff? Nowhere, right? So you're, you're, you're picking, you're dreaming. The other biblical account, they say, oh, yeah, well, see, here's the secret thing that's going on. And they say, see, this is the difference between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. There's two different accounts there. And what they say is uh, the first chapter, Genesis 1, is the history of Lilith being Adam's wife, and the second chapter is Eve. No. Right? Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the exact same history. It's just told from two different vantage points. Genesis 1 is the overview of creation. Genesis 2 gets into specifics of that. That's it. There's no mention of little. There is nothing. It's a baloney. Anyway, I only bring that up as a side note because I can't leave that hanging because people say, oh, see, yeah, Lilith, I told you there's a secret. There's Adam's wife. Whatever. Now, where Lilith really comes from, as people promote it today, is two sources, witchcraft and the feminist movement. Shocker. Okay. Uh, the Lilith myth is a popular among radical feminist movements because, quote, Lilith is an example of a woman refusing to submit to male headship. <laughs> right? Uh, also, witches believe today that Lilith is the protector of witches. Right? So, again, that's really where this is coming from. You can try to justify it biblically, say there's a conspiracy, there's not. But let's get back to the Babylonian vampire issue, this Babylonian next female vampire called Lilith. Uh, she had some interesting characteristics. One of them was, shocker, she could shapeshift into an animal. Those Hollywood guys, they just keep making this stuff up. No, it's not. Old-fashioned occult from Babylon. Let's take a look at that premise. those graphics amazing yeah. remember back in the day that scared you to death right today whatever so i hope you didn't watch those shows hey i will tell you this is a true story uh somebody when i was growing up uh got me to watch one dracula movie i think it was in fourth grade right i kid you not for one whole year every single night without fail i had nightmares about vampires i would go to bed trying to tell myself I was obviously we weren't a Christian family at the time. I wasn't saved. I said, "Oh, please!" I'd, I'd start trying to think about Fred Flintstone, anything, anything, please. And I was trying to get that in my brain before. It, no, here comes a stupid Dracula thing that scared me to death. Man, today's movies, and we're going to get into the modern aspect, Lord willing, a little bit here at the end, and then in the next couple studies as we wrap this up. But honestly, there's a, a lot. I, I got a ton to choose from to give examples, but most of it I can't. Because you thought that, no, they are very verbose in your face. It's a bloody, gory, sick, it's bad. 
But the shape-shifting, this idea, well, man, where'd they get this idea that he turns into a bat? Lilith. Now, she didn't turn into a bat. She turned into an owl, an occult creature. Today, it's a bat. Back then, it was an owl. But this is nothing new under the sun, old-fashioned occult, Babylonian vampire. Now, let me give you another one. Uh, in Babylon, again, uh, they had uh, this name for this category. They were called the Viracolacas, however you pronounce that. Uh, and again, nothing new in the sun because they also bring up the premise of zombies. So not even zombies uh, is something new. Uh, the Viracolacas uh, were believed to be the corpses of a person who were possessed by a demon. They rise from their graves at night and knock on people's front doors calling their names. If the person answered the door, they were doomed to die the next day. So again, vampires, zombies, even vampires controlling zombies, nothing new in the sun, and it made for black and white crazy movies like this. Bela Lugosi as Murder Legendre. I death. Master of the Undead Damned. The sinister power behind the white zombie. Zombies? Yes. They are my servants. This soul killer takes men from their graves to be his slaves. You live here? Yes. Well, maybe you know what a zombie is. When a person dies and is buried, Seems to certain voodoo priests who, who have the power to bring him back to life. Horrible. It's worse than horrible because a zombie has no will of his own. You see them sometimes, walking around blindly with dead eyes, following orders, not knowing what they do, not caring. You mean like Democrats? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just close them for her. What a way to end the great study. Praise God. I tell you what, but... Uh... <laughs> Nothing new under the sun, right? All this stuff is old-fashioned occult practices. It did not start in the 1800s. But anyway, but the Babylonians, believe it or not, let's get back to these uh, uh, Vera uh, Kolakas. You know, if they called your name, you're dead the next day. Or whatever. They, they actually had a workaround figured out so that they, uh, to know whether it was not one of these things or it was just the milkman, your buddy, calling out your name. And I quote, this is from the Babylonian writings. The Vera Kolakas could only call a person's name one time. So, many avoided death by waiting until someone else called their name a second time and then answered the door. Okay, that's what they did. Now, finally, as if you're not seeing, wow, these guys, we thought they just made this stuff up, wrote it in a book, Hollywood embellished it. No, it's not. It's all occult practices, every aspect of vampirism, including this aspect, and it rhymes with garlic. You know, the whole premise, right? You have garlic, and somehow garlic is going to ward off the vampire, not just the cross and that holy water, right? Well, believe it or not, quote, many cultures believed in the extraordinary power of garlic from ancient Egypt, including Babylon. The modern belief in garlic's powers against vampires comes from these ancient beliefs. It's garlic, right? So if you want to be safe at home, make sure you get this kind of pizza. Okay, Dad, I'm going out. Is Dracula picking you up? He's not a vampire, Dad. He's goth. There's a difference. Yeah, sure. Pizza? Ooh, who delivered? Actually, it's new Delicio garlic bread pizza. Mmm, garlic in the crust. You can really taste it. Oh, you can taste the garlic all right. Hi, Jake. Pizza? Garlic? What you say? See? Vampire. 
Told you. Yep. Garlic works every time. 200 years after the flood, where all this comes from. Nothing new under the sun, okay? And again, what's the whole point? This is the premise of vampirism. Every aspect, every little angle, trace the trail. It's an old occult practice, just like witchcraft, all the other occult activities we've been studying. It goes back from that first rebellion only, again, 200 years after the flood, which still blows me away to this day. You would think a worldwide flood would get your attention. Don't do evil again. And here you are already back at it. And then God had to confuse the languages, and they spread. But what went with them, not just languages, the occult practices. And that's why we have occult everywhere in the world, many different angles, not just many different languages. Okay, but let's fast forward in history. Uh, I just want to give you that. Let's, let's pick up the pace real quick. Uh, let's go to the 1400s. Now, this is where a lot of people think that, oh, this is where it started with this guy. Dun, 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 Vlad the Impaler. All right. How would you like to have that as your neighbor? All right? Hey, you want to come on? I need to borrow some sugar. You know what? I will go without sugar. I'm not going to Vlad the Impaler's house. <laughs> this guy was a real guy. Now, most people think that the, the Bram Stoker, Count Dracula, that they uh, got their influence from this guy. Some say yes, some say no. Who knows? But there are some interesting parallels. Vlad Dracul, he was a real guy, also known as Vlad the Impaler, born in Transylvania, a real place in Romania. Uh, he was there in 1456, 1462, ruling that area. Historians describe him as a brutal, cruel ruler who fought off the Ottoman Empire. Catholicism loved this guy because he beat back the Ottomans, okay? Uh, and, uh, but he uh, earned his nickname because of his favorite way to kill his enemies was to impale them, listen, with a wooden stake. Sound familiar? Even that aspect is an aspect of vampirism, okay? He would impale them. He, according to legend, Vlad Dracul enjoyed dining amidst his dying victims and dipping his bread in their blood. And again, many people uh, say that this is Bram Stoker's later, about 400 years later, writes this book on Dracula uh, because Count Dracula was also from Transylvania, sucked the victim's blood, could only be killed by a stake in their heart. But this is a real guy, this Vlad guy. Let's take a look at that real quick. In a country torn by bloody civil war, a young man seizes power. In his native tongue, he is called Dracula. This is not the vampire, Count Dracula, but a real historical figure, a Romanian prince. He was celebrated throughout Christendom for his achievements against the Turks. Dracula was a warlord who became known all across Europe for both his breathtaking courage and his terrifying cruelty. What drove him again and again was a need for survival, a need for affirmation, and a driving need to torture. Known as the Impaler after his favorite means of execution, Dracula is said to have burned, boiled, disemboweled, and tortured his way into the history books. And now you know why I said I would not go to his house and get a cup of sugar. So, but this was a real guy. All right. Now, notice it said it was uh, 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 Christendom celebrated him. L let me dispel that myth real quick. Christendom does not mean Christianity. When you see whether secular, uh, the historical channel or heresy channel, I mean history channel, um, 
or in print, whatever, Christendom, when you see that in history books, okay, Christendom is not Christianity. Christendom means Catholicism. When the Roman Catholic Church took over basically life in Western Europe, uh, spiritually and governmentally, until the Reformation came uh, roughly in the 1500s, Martin Luther actually started a little bit earlier with that, John Wycliffe and others, John Huss. But still, uh, that's what it means. So when you see that, it's Christendom like this guy. No, no Catholicism like the guy. Because he was really mean and nasty, and he beat back the Turks that were trying to take over the Catholics' territory and things of that nature. But that's a little side note, but I have to hit it. Uh, again, some say Bram Stoker, Count Dracula, uh, it was modeled after this guy. Okay, but that is not the only tale of vampires in history. Again, we saw the Babylonian Empire. You know, most people say, well, it's, it had to come from this guy. Okay, well, maybe the book, it inspired the book. But this idea of vampires sucking people's blood, doing all kinds of weird, freaky things, shape-shifting, all that stuff. Uh, it, it, it wasn't just Babylon, and it wasn't just Romania with this guy. You do the research, real quick, I'll give you a little teaser, and you will see, just like you have different versions of witchcraft across the planet, different versions of voodoo across the planet, different versions of shamanism across the planet, because it was all occult-based from Babylon and then spread across, and vampirism was in Babylon, guess what also went around? Virtually every culture, and I'm not going to go this deep in that history. It'd be fun to go around the world and look at their version of vampire, but we need to wrap this up because somebody wants to get to Freemasonry. But anyway, so, uh, Lord willing. But anyway, so, but the uh, vampires, pick a culture. Everybody's got a version, shocker, of vampires, which is exactly what you'd expect if the biblical account was true, that they spread after the Tower of Babel. But let's take a look at that. This one's a more kid-friendly version. Let's take a look. Good evening. <laughs> What's the matter? Are you afraid of vampires? <laughs> no need to worry. I'm not staying for dinner. <laughs> I'm here to guide you through a brief history of vampires, illustrating how our image has changed from a shambling corpse to the dapper gentleman you see before you. Vampires are nearly as old as you humans. Stories about us, revenants, appear in cultures extending as far back as prehistoric times. But we weren't called vampires back then, and most of us did not look the way we imagine vampires today. <laughs> far from it. For example, the Mesopotamian Lamashtu was a creature with the head of a lion and the body of a donkey. And the ancient Greek Striges were simply described as bloodthirsty birds. Others were even stranger. The Philippine Mananangal would sever her upper torso and sprout huge bat-like wings to fly. The Malaysian Penangalan was a flying female head with dangling entrails. <laughs> and the Australian Yarmoyahu was a little red guy with a big head, a large mouth, and the bloodsuckers on his hands and feet. Oh, and let's not forget the Caribbean's Sukoyant, the West African Obaifo, and the Mexican Tlahilpoch. <laughs> Charming, aren't they? Though they may look vastly different, all of these beings have one common characteristic. They sustain themselves by consuming the life force of a living creature. By chance? No, that's what God forbids. If I recall right, don't quote me on this, but I think it's 900 years after the flood, you have the book of Leviticus being written. Why would God be very adamant 
don't none of you be drinking blood. Because what's going all over the planet? This occult belief and practice of drinking blood. Thinking that you're going to get a spiritual sustenance of drinking blood, whether animal or human. So, but again, you see, just like witchcraft, just like voodoo, just like shamanism, same thing with vampirism, believe it or not. It is all over basically every culture on the planet, okay? Because it stems from the Tower of Babel. Now, let's speed up historically more for, okay, how did it get so popular today? Have you noticed it's so popular today? Not just Satanism, not just witchcraft, vampire this, vampire that, all this stuff, werewolf, all that kind of stuff. It's gone ballistic, okay, in our culture today. Well, again, some of the big craze uh, started, again, from the two classic novels in the 19th century uh, and uh, with vampires. And what, what inspired the modern day is these two, Vampire, spelled that way, and Dracula. Uh, the first one, Vampire, by John Polidari, 1819, is when that was written. And, of course, the classic, so-called classic, Dracula by Bram Stoker, 1897. And even secular historians would say that these two books are the progenitors of what we're dealing with today, the, quote, romantic vampire genre, okay, that we deal with. The, quote, romantic sexual attraction to the suave, sophisticated vampire, Count Dracula, as portrayed by Frank Langella in the movie Dracula 1979, is an example of the allure of the vampire. The film's tagline is, quote, throughout history, he has filled the hearts of men with terror, but the hearts of women with desire. And the seductive kiss of the vampire has uh, generated an alluring mystique, especially for young women. And that mystique, along with the forbidden fruit syndrome, is the basics, quote, for the Twilight series. I'm sure that has had no influence on people wanting to become a literal vampire today. Yes, it has. On a mega scale. Remember we saw the witches will admit, even though some so-called Christian parents won't, that Harry Potter, the witches admit, has been the best advertisement. They're beside themselves. Keep it coming, please. More people want to become witches now than ever before in the history of their craft because of the Harry Potter series. Same thing with vampires. The Twilight series has been a major recruiter of people getting into, especially, not always, but especially young girls because that's the premise, right? Here's the first one back in 2008. They made, I believe, five of them, and there's talks of keeping them going. But let's take a look at that. Possibly fast and strong. You gotta give me some answers. I'd rather hear your theories. I have considered radioactive spiders and kryptonite. It's all superhero stuff, right? What if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the bad guy? I know what you are. Your skin is pale white and ice cool. You don't go out into the sunlight. Say it out loud. Say it. Vampire. Are you afraid? No. This isn't real. This kind of stuff just doesn't exist. It doesn't my world. So I just want to try one thing. I don't know how long I've 
way to feel. You are my life now. Yep, just entertainment. Nobody buys into that stuff. You'll see different here in a second. I'll never forget. Uh, believe it or not, I don't know if you guys are hooked on anniversaries, but uh, this month is my 12th year anniversary with Sunrise. And uh, back when uh, Sunrise was uh, seriously suffering from making good decisions, somehow I snuck in the door. And no, uh, glad to be here. But anyway, uh, but 12 years ago, that's 2011. So 2011, I'll never forget, that's at the height when they were making these movies. The first one was 2008. They made about five of them. And I will never forget, I'm going like, what did I just step into? We could be here all day telling of the spiritual status of where Sunrise was at at that time. And every place that God has sent us to, it didn't dawn on me until about my third pastorate, oh, he sends us to places that need to be fixed. <laughs> I thought I was always going to go to these places that were mature Christians ready to go. <laughs> no! <laughs> anyway... Uh, but in the midst of all that, there was great people. Uh, still, some of you have stuck it out all these years. Uh, but back then, uh, the spiritual status was not good. And uh, I'll never forget that uh, the height of this. And here comes the next round of these movies. And that was the talk of the church of the college and career at that time. That was what they were posting, not the gospel, not Jesus Christ, on social media. This, they can't wait for this. They're going to have parties to watch this. Christians. And they just told me, okay, God. But I will tell you this, and God gets the credit. It's called, you keep preaching the word of God, whether people like it or not. And if you don't quit by his grace and his mercy, and not just me, but the people that stuck all the way around, I'm looking at two right there. Then you know what God's going to do? He's going to turn it around. And he's going to make you into a church that is spiritually vibrant because you got back to the book. And you're more interested in this book than a vampire book. But that's where it's at. So if you're in one of those conditions, get back to the book, man. Get back to the Bible. There's hope. Just don't give up. Uh, or individually, if you're getting sucked into this, get back to the book. Get back to the Bible. Put that junk down. Get back to the scripture and watch things turn around. Because of this, quote, While fantasy fiction, such as Twilight, may seem harmless, any obsessive interest in vampires, or for that matter, witches, ghosts, other occult figures, can be unhealthy at best and dangerous at worst. A weak, emotional, fragile young girl, for example, whose life is characterized by family stress, problems with personal issues, a lack of strong role models, could be at risk for developing an unhealthy interest in the occult. Such an interest can open the door for demons to infiltrate their mind and spirit. Quote, Satan, as we know, is the enemy of our souls, and he, quote, prowls around Roaring like a lion, looking for someone to devour. How does he do that? Gets you to watch it. Gets you to turn it on yourself. Hollywood, the media. That's how he begins to devour people. Repackaged version of the occult vampires all stems back from the Babylonian rebellion against God. And it's been repackaged today. Every aspect of it. This is why God, in his wisdom, forbids occult practices, describing them with plain terms, quote, an abomination and that which is detestable to him. Because you don't want to get messed around with this stuff. Right. You can call it entertainment you want. But really, entertainment today is sinertainment. And in this context, it's occultainment. Go back to Fred Flintstone. Do something different, but whatever. Not this. 
The Bible says we are in Philippians 4, 8 to fill our minds with what? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on those things. Not, quote, the Twilight books or movies that promote elements of darkness and the occult. But again, hey, listen, you hear this all the time. You hear this with the Harry Potter folks. It's just entertainment, man. It's helping my kid to read. Really? I personally, I still think that C-Spot Run is a great book. That's probably okay to read. And we'll teach your kid to read. Why do you have to read an occult book? Whether it's the vampire stuff, the witchcraft stuff. Are you crazy? But here's the deal. It does affect people. And the enemy knows it. The vampires know it. The witches know it. They admit it. They say, keep it coming. Because we're having people come to us in droves. Because they've rejected the baloney that's going on in the church today, which I would reject too. They're looking for spiritual substance. But if they can't find a healthy church, and that is rare today, then they're going somewhere spiritually. Because you will worship something. And the enemy knows it. And he's sucking people in. And I quote, real vampires? Yes, today. People who call themselves vampires do exist. They're normal-seeming people who, quote, drink blood in an effort to, quote, stay healthy. Whole communities of self-defined vampires can be found on the Internet and cities and towns around the world today. Most, quote, modern vampires keep to themselves and typically conduct their feeding rituals, which include drinking blood, in private. Some vampires claim to feed off the energy of others. Many state that if they don't feed regularly, they become agitated or depressed. Now we're up to today. I'm going to give you a little teaser. We're going to go deeper, Lord willing, next time of just how bad it is today because of this influence. Even people who go to church services. Okay. But here's where we're at, folks. People, full-blown vampires, exist today. There's a whole new generation. I mean, it's sad, right? But let's take a look at just some of that proof. I had probably drank maybe a quarter of a cup of her blood, and it made me feel euphoric. It was like tasting pure power. Pretty much drinking blood was the only option. I've had people tell me that my blood tastes really good to them. A lot of people would want to be involved in touching the blood or actually drinking the blood. If I could stop drinking blood, I definitely would. When I was asked to make a film about real-life vampires in America, I had no idea what to expect. Could there really be people out there drinking human blood, especially in an age where blood-borne diseases like AIDS and hepatitis are commonplace and the risks are so high? The scene I unearthed both surprised and shocked me. My journey begins in New York, where the goth scene clearly reflects America's fascination with the dark side. Over the last decade, this scene has splintered, diversified, and branched out into various subsets. One of these subsets is the vampire community. When I heard about this scene, images of the Hollywood stereotype flashed through my mind. But these people have taken the sexual license, charisma, and transcending qualities of the vampire and made it their own. Even just walking down the street in broad daylight, you can run into self-identified vampires. It seems teenagers, especially outcasts, are attracted to the vampire scene because it seems to offer them stability, a sense of belonging, as well as being a rebellious alternative to normal society. The vampire scene was um, icing on the cake for me. Pretty much most of us has been like the outskirts, like the 
outcasts or families who need something and look for other ways to belong. The things I tell people when they tell me that I'm a freak, I'm a vampire, I'm whatever they call me, all I say is, well, I am who I am and you are who you are. If you don't like it, that's too bad. The vampire didn't start out as a stranger or a foreigner. He was very much someone that you knew. Vampires are everywhere. Blood is life. Blood stays in body, you stay alive. Blood goes out of body, you might not stay alive. Do you actually drink blood? At the core of it, a vampire has to feed. Notice the same place, Salem witchcraft. Vampires, it's all the same root. All comes from Babylon, 200 years after the flood. Repackaged today, kids are getting into it. As you can see, all over the place, that's just a little teeny tiny teaser. This is not a joke. And it's sad. It's just like Satan, right? What have you been seeing in our occult study? He takes the same rebellious occult that started 200 years after the flood. It's spread it across the world, repackaged it in different ways. So if he can't get you with witchcraft, if he can't get you through Satanism, if he can't get you through voodoo and shamanism, druidism, now he's getting a whole brand new group through vampirism. And then he's got people who even go to church services. That's just entertainment. It's no big deal. No. You better wake up. How can this be? And I quote, vampires became mainstream after Dracula was published. Since then, Count Dracula's legendary persona has been the topic of many films, many books, and many television shows. Given the fascination people have with all things horror and vampires, they're likely to continue for years to come. Sad. Lord willing, next time we're going to get into the beliefs of vampirism. There is a whole belief system, a whole occult ritual, a whole thing uh, that we need to be aware of why these people would do this. And again, what's unfortunate is, did you hear the guy on the street? Broken homes. Feels misunderstood. Looking for meaning and purpose in life. My question has always been this. Where was the Christian? Or is the Christian at home watching vampire movies? We need to wake up. Amen. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? 
Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. 
But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.